0: Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. So this morning, I'd like to talk about um, training. I was actually looking at at the BCC website, and there's a a sentence there that says Brooklyn Zen Center is an embodied training community in the Soto Zen tradition. I think it's part of our vision statement or maybe mission statement. And it occurred to me that, uh, we often don't think of what we're doing here as training. I know I certainly didn't when I first started, um, And I think we've kind of gotten accustomed to using that word in a in a very specialized way. Like it may be, uh, you know, it's very it, you know, it's it's simple to say. Oh, at the monastery, there it's a training monastery. They're training there. Um, but I'd really like to stretch that word to include all of what we're doing here in the monastery and elsewhere as training. and Because I think it can be helpful to reframe that way and expand the usage of that word. And so I'd like to really kind of unpack what that means um, in, in our tradition. You know, certainly at at the monastery, there's training happening and it's um, you could say it's more formal. It's um, there's a schedule and there's a several pages of forms that we follow. But I, I don't think it's substantively different than. then the practice that could that can happen in the city or where or wherever you're practicing there's a way that that can become training and when i first came to practice the word training was not in my in my mind i just wanted to learn how to sit zazen um and it was maybe several years after that that it Dawned on me that I was secretly being trained, mm-hmm. and we have language for this already in in Buddhism that, that predates Zen. You know, we talk about the the path as a threefold training, um, so a training in uh, meditation, training in ethics. And training in wisdom, so these kind of three legs of of, uh, of a stool, and that that threefold pr- training is, you know, sometimes the eightfold path is described in this threefold way. So the wisdom training is associated with right view and right intention. Training in ethics is associated with right action, right speech, right livelihood. And then uh, training in meditation associated with effort, mindfulness, and and right concentration. And of course, these these three uh, aspects, like a lot of things that we talk about in Zen, like the paramitas, uh, I think that this threefold way of talking about it is a model. Um, so I think it's important to realize that it's a convenient way of talking about these aspects that are really actually interpenetrating and supporting each other. In the same way that we talk about um, the perfection of generosity and the perfection of effort. Being uh, mutually supportive. it's it's clear how training in in meditation and training in in ethical discipline support each other, and you know, we need the a uh, certain amount of mindfulness and stillness to be able to watch our reactivity and uh And to cultivate the capacity to kind of view our karmic life more and more in real time as it's happening. So we have a better chance of uh, you know, interrupting you know, a, a cycle of suffering or, or harm. And of course, practicing ethics helps us cultivate uh, meditation. We're able to our minds are able to settle a little more uh, when we're not worried if we're going to get caught in a lie or 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 any other kind of agitation. Suzuki Roshi has a quote and Yoko you can maybe nod if I'm getting this right he says some he says something like studying the precepts makes Zazen come alive I might be uh, paraphrasing that but that's the gist of what he's trying to say that um, for me before I was studying the precepts practicing Zazen was just kind of I was You know just i was watching the endless parade of my thoughts wend its way through my um mental landscape watching my breath rise and fall once i started practicing the precepts uh, i began to see how these thoughts are uh connected to deeply held views I have about myself about others about the world. Um, so I begin to see and taste, you know, the reality of the Four Noble Truths in my own experience. Ah, when I hold on to this thought, suffering happens, when I let it go, it's a little better. we also we also begin to see cause and effect yeah in the midst of all this so we begin to open up to you know the training and wisdom uh, you know a first intimation of of the formal truths and taste of our own impermanence and lack of a self that's underlying all these things. Like another way of uh, framing the training in wisdom, like what does that mean to train in wisdom? In my experience, the, that actual training happens in the context of community in sangha. That's actually where we begin to see, see and experience, uh, how our karma affects others when we're in a community of others who share an intention to look at their own conditioning and we kind of enter into that system, we begin to see more clearly than if we weren't, uh, the, the play of our conditioning And that it is conditioning. We're in a, in a space that can hold, hold us as that realization, uh, enters our bones. And we begin to feel into our interrelatedness and our interconnectedness. So as It's been said before in other Dharma talks wisdom is something that arises in relationship. So in our tradition, Sangha becomes the field where that that realization can arise. I have to uh, confess, I've been reading Dogen's diary uh, recently. Um, when he went to China, he left Japan and he went to China to find a teacher. He kept, uh, he kept, a, a diary. And I don't think he meant it to be, uh, out in the public domain, uh, his successor, uh, his student Cohen Ajo found it among his things after he died um, and he uh luckily for us, he copied it down and it's been preserved but it, it really does read like a diary. it's kind of this bunch of fragments and um, you know a lot of it consists of these little uh exchanges that he has with with his teacher Rujing. Just short little dialogues, and you know they'll have all these discussions about the Dharma and the state of monasteries in China. And then, you know, out of nowhere, Ruching will say something like, "Dogen, do you know how to put on your socks?" So it's very kind of very very sweet mixture of mundane and sublime teachings you ex know, it tells Dogen how to the right way to put on his socks and then they'll go on and talk about the Dharma and at uh at the end of a lot of these exchanges um Dogen will you know bow down to his teacher in the, Tears, moisten his sleeves. And one time he's doing this, and Rujing says he says, Dogan, the nature of both the one worshipping and the one worshipped is void. And in between, is the spiritual correspondence and permutation of the way which is beyond intellectual comprehension the nature of both the worship the one worshipping and the one worshiped is void is empty and in between is the spiritual correspondence and permutation of the way which is beyond intellectual comprehension so this, his reply really, for me, captures the essence of how wisdom is realized in relationship between uh, here in, in the case of Dogen and his teacher in between teacher and student. You ever do get a chance to read this it is a very it's a very sweet and in, intimate uh account of this spiritual correspondence you really get the sense that dogan wanted to soak up as much as he could from his teacher in the time that he was in china and that his teacher wanted to transmit as much as he could to his to this devoted student who came from Japan. Actually, I just want to say, for those of you who might not know, Dogen is uh, is the founder of our tradition in Japan and from the 13th century. And so this, uh, this, Teaching of this wisdom that's arising in in relationship is part of what is uh, transmitted to us across these years. So if if we think of all this as training. Meditation, the precepts the realization of our interconnectedness and enmeshment in Sangha. If we think of these as trainings, that begs the question, what are we being trained for? What are we we being trained to do? And The first thing I wrote down was, it's bodhisattva training. That's kind of an easy Zen answer to say, oh, this is bodhisattva training. So training to serve others. Which means being available and present in the world. With others so you could say it's a training for being in the world as it's come to be or as it's coming to be all the time since the world is arising all the time the training is meeting it all the time so it's an endless training to meet an endlessly unfolding world again Dogen I think here he gives us uh, another maybe another formula a pointer to this training and this is something that many of you have heard before to study the Buddha way is to study the self To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. When actualized by myriad things your body and mind as well as the bodies and mind of others drop away. No trace of realization remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. That's like the closest thing we have a cre- as, to a credo in, in our tradition. And I think it eloquently describes uh, what we're doing in the training, studying the self, and what follows from that or what arises from that self-study. an intimacy where we're allowed to be actualized by myriad things instead of imposing our ideas of the myriad things here and there as we go through the world so a training program of studying the self We can also use the expression to turn the light inward. So we're bringing the light of awareness to the full breadth of our conditioning and cultivating a capacity to bear witness to all the ways this particular self has come to be. You know, we use another term that we use in our center is undoing. You know, we say we talk about the undoing work. And usually that's used to talk about specifically ways in which uh, we study, uh, you could say, collective aspects of our conditioning. So our conditioning around race or gender and that looking at those aspects of our conditioning, uh, we're, we're training to undo. And I actually think Dogan's formula to study the Buddha way, to study the self, to study the self is, uh, again, he's pointing, he's giving us the, Equation. It's not even a formula. It's an equation for how to proceed on this path of undoing. How to engage in the ongoing training of undoing all the ways we cling to a view. So that we can loosen that grasp and let the world come in uh, last week we had a meeting of the undoing patriarchy sangha and I wanted to share uh, something that happened for me and in, in that group which I think i think points to um again it was it was a way of seeing wi- wisdom emerge in a relationship and it opened up a new uh i don't know ex- it expanded what i thought of as training so i'll just tell you what happened we did this exercise where we were we were told to bring a a picture of a, of a male ancestor of ours. So I brought a picture of, uh, my paternal grandfather, my father's father, whom I never met. Um, I heard stories of him about his temper. And, uh, And so that's all I knew of him was the stories that my father told. And I have this Xerox copy of a of a picture of him from nineteen eighteen. And he's in a soldier's uniform, World War One. And up until this exercise, all I could see was the anger and the sternness in that face. That's all that there was. It was this flat piece of paper and my story that I put on it. And in the group, we were kind of led through a kind of guided meditation and into a, uh, And into a new relationship with this photograph. So. Look into the eyes of the photograph. And as we were doing this, I, I started to drop. Well, I don't know which came first. I started to drop some of the story I had. And I started to see all this whole other breadth of possible lives that he could have had. I didn't see just a stern grandfather. I saw a young man afraid about to go to war. I saw all I saw how much I, I didn't really know about this man. And then we were invited to have the eyes and the eyes in the picture regard us, regard me. And it opened up this whole field. It opened up a relationship To this ancestor, which I never had. And whatever. Difficult karmic inheritance. That's been passed down to me. Through him, through my father, to me. That was that was included in this new. in this new gaze that I had back a hundred years. So this was just like a little um, a moment of undoing on, you know, of one strand of my, you know, the vast skein of my ancient twisted karma. This was one thread I felt, uh, I was able to take it out and lay it flat. So I think this training is an, is about developing a capacity To be still in the midst of that. To be upright. In. Amidst the. Force of our karmic histories. To bear witness and to take responsibility for them as they show up in our own bodies and minds and hearts. And at the same time as it happens to. Cultivate a new relationship. In this case was relationship with my grandfather. Could be relationships to other ancestors relationships to other people in the sangha but we're training or being trained to enter into enter into these relationships I want to say being trained because I think the training is actually working on us. Whether we know it or not, we just have to show up. The training is happening in spite of our, is definitely happening in spite of ourselves. (laughs) Thank thank goodness it is. So what, what would it mean to think of of each of us in the Sangha as partners in training and and the field of that training might now be our home it might be school work but all those can be opportunities for uh, for training, for training the heart, the body, and the mind. Again, we say heart, body, and mind of those, as if those things are separate, but we just say them because it's helpful to say three things. But I think the training happens as one event for the heart, the body, and the mind, the capacity to be still and receptive to the world in my experience happens as, as, as one event. And this past year, I feel like I need to, I want to acknowledge that today is the year anniversary of our last Saturday um, at at Brooklyn Zen Center, at a temple in Brooklyn, I think March 7th was that last Saturday we were together. And what a training this year has been. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to make a joke about that. I'm serious. It really has been A training and I hope we can think of it that way as training in deeper capacity to be patient maybe cultivating training in a in the cultivation of grief the ability to grieve and the way that all of us have had to transform the full breadth of our life into a field of practice. We no longer have the luxury to kind of cordon off our practice to Saturday afternoon from 8 to 1230 (laughs) and then I go back out in the city. So, I feel that's a very. um, I don't think we're going to be the same Sangha when we get to a point where we are coming back together again. Whenever that will be, Uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of training that's happened, and we're going to meet each other. And I have a, a deep faith that the sangha will actually be more resilient and and stronger for it, for having been through all that we've been through. And so that's my my faith and my hope that this. Um, that this training continues endlessly for all of us. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.